Here, the wicked mob, unappeased, long cherished a hatred of innocent blood. Now that the fatherland is saved and the cave of death demolished, where grim death has been, life and death appear. I was sick, sick unto death with that long agony. When they at length unbound me and I was permitted to sit, I felt that my senses were leaving me. The sentence for crimes against God and the state, this high council sentences you to death. The dread sentence of death was the last of distinct accentuation which reached my ears. After that, the sound of the inquisitorial voices seemed merged in one dreamy, indeterminate hum. It conveyed to my soul the idea of revolution, or perhaps from its association in fancy with the burr of a mildew. This only for a brief period, for presently, How terrible an exaggeration. I saw the lips of the black-robed judges. They appeared to me white, whiter than the sheet upon which I traced these words, and thin even to grotesqueness, thin with the intensity of their expression of firmness, of immovable resolution, of stern contempt, of human torture. I saw that the degrees of, of what to me was fate those decrees were still issuing from those lips. I saw them writhe with a deadly locution. I saw them fashion the syllables of my name. And I shuddered because no sound succeeded. I saw, too, for a few moments of delirious horror, the soft and nearly imperceptible waving of the sable draperies which enwrapped the walls of the cell. And then my vision fell upon the seven tall candles upon the table. At first they wore the aspect of charity and seemed white and, and slender angels who would save me. And then all at once there came a most deadly nausea over my spirit and I felt every fiber in my frame thrill as if I had touched the wire of a galvanic battery, while the angel forms became meaningless specters with heads of flame, and I saw that from them there, there would be no help. And then there stole into my fancy, like a rich musical note, the thought of what sweet rest there must be in the grave. The thought came gently and stealthily, and it seemed long before it attained full appreciation. But just as my spirit came at length properly to feel and entertain it, 
The figures of the judges vanished, as if magically from before me, the tall candles sank into nothingness, their flames went out, and utterly. The blackness of darkness supervened. All sensations, all sensations appeared swallowed up in a mad, rushing descent as of the soul into Hades. And silence, and stillness, night over the universe. I had swooned, but still will not say that all, all of consciousness was lost. What of it there remained, I will not attempt to define, nor, or even to describe. Yet I knew all was not, not lost. In the deepest slumber, no. In delirium, no. In a swoon, no. In death, no. Even in the grave, all is not lost. Else, my friends, there is no immortality for man. Still, arousing from the most profound of slumbers, we break the gossamer web of some dream. Yet in a second afterwards, so frail may that web have been, we remember not that we have dreamed, and the return to life from the swoon there are two stages. Why, yes, you are most correct, good sir. First, there is that of the sense of mental or spiritual. Secondly, that of the sense of physical existence. Well, it seems probable that if, upon reaching the second stage, we could recall the impressions of the first, we should find these impressions eloquent in memories of the gulf beyond. Yes, yes, and, and that gulf is what? How at least shall we distinguish its shadows from those of the tomb? But if, if the impressions of what I have termed the first stage are not at will recalled, yet after a long interval, do they not become unbidden while we marvel whence they came? <laughs> <laughs> amid these frequent and thoughtful endeavors to remember, amid earnest struggles to regather some token of the state of seeming nothingness into which my soul had lapsed, there have been moments when I have dreamed of success. There have been brief, very brief periods when I have conjured up remembrances which the lucid reason of a later epoch assures me could have had reference only to that condition of seeming unconsciousness. These shadows of memory tell indistinctly of tall figures that lifted and bore me in silence down, down, still down, till a hideous dizziness oppressed me at the mere idea of the interminableness of the descent. They tell also of a vague horror at my heart, on account of that heart's unnatural stillness. Then comes a sense of sudden motionlessness throughout all things, as if those who bore me a ghastly train and outrun in their descent the limits of the limitless and pause from the wearisomeness of their toil. After this, I call to mind flatness and dampness, and then all is madness, the madness of a memory which, which busies itself among forbidden things. <laughs> He who has never swooned is not he who finds strange palaces and wildly familiar faces and coals that glow. It's not he who beholds floating in midair the sad visions that they many may not view. 
is not he who ponders over the perfume of some novel flower, is not the brain whose brain grows bewildered at the meaning of some musical cadence which has never before arrested his attention. <laughs> Very suddenly there came back to my soul motion and sound, the tumultuous motion of the heart, and in my ears the sound of its beating. A pause in which all is blank. Then again, sound and motion and touch, a tingling sensation pervading my frame. Then the mere consciousness of existence without thought, a condition which lasted long. Then very suddenly thought and shuddering terror and earnest endeavor to comprehend my true state. Then a strong desire to lapse into insensibility. Then a rushing revival of soul and a successful effort, a successful effort. memory of the trial, oh, of the judges. Death, 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 death. Of the death, sable draperies, death, of the sentence, death, of the sickness, death, of the swoon. Death, death. Then entire forgetfulness of all that followed, of all that a later day, of all that much earnestness of endeavor have enabled me vaguely to recall. You are a prisoner during the Spanish Inquisition, tried and convicted for crimes against an authoritarian theocracy. As you wait your appointment with death, you are alone, alone with nothing but your thoughts to keep you company. In one ear, you hear the voices of reason, Philosophers rationalizing your situation and suggesting logic in the face of despair. In the other ear, you hear the whispers of fear, offering no respite from your surroundings and little hope for your escape. As these voices dance within your head, your inquisitors play games with your senses until the only recourse you desire is the pitch black serenity of the grave. Listen now as Cloak and Dagger on the Air presents Edgar Allan Poe's 1843 short story, The Pit and the Pendulum. So far I had not opened my eyes. I felt that I lay upon my back unbound. I reached out my hand it fell heavily upon something damp and hard. There I suffered it to remain for many minutes while I strove to imagine where and what I could be. I longed, yet dared not to employ my vision. I dreaded the first glance at objects around me. It was not that I feared to look upon things horrible, but that I grew aghast, lest there should be nothing to see. At length, with a wild desperation at heart, I quickly unclosed my eyes. My worst thoughts then were confirmed. You are encompassed. Encompassed by the blackness of eternal night. You are struggling to breathe. This intensity of darkness. It is you. It's stifling you. Oh, indeed, the atmosphere was intolerably close. I still lay quietly and made effort to exercise my reason. I brought to mind the inquisitorial proceedings. Death. 
and attempted from that point to deduce my real condition. The sentence had passed. It appeared to me that a very long interval of time had since elapsed. Yet not for a moment, not for a moment, did I suppose myself actually dead. Not supposing oneself to actually be dead? <laughs> Such a supposition. Notwithstanding what we read in fiction, it's is altogether inconsistent with real existence. <laughs> but where then? Where in what state was I? The condemned to death usually perish at the autos da fe, the, the burnings. And, and one of these had been held on the very night of the day of my trial, yes. Perhaps he's been remanded to his dungeon to await the next sacrifice? Which would not take place for many months. Well, that just can't be. Victims are in an immediate demand. M moreover, my dungeon, my dungeon as well as all the condemned cells at Toledo had stone floors, and light was not altogether excluded. A fearful idea now suddenly drove the blood in torrents upon my heart, and for a brief period I once more relapsed into insensibility. Oh, but upon recovering, I at once started to my feet, trembling convulsively in every fiber. I thrust my arms wildly above and around me in all directions. I felt nothing, yet I dreaded to move a step, lest I should be impeded by the walls of a tomb. Perspiration burst from every pore and stood in cold, big beads upon my forehead. The agony of suspense grew at length intolerable, and I cautiously moved forward with my arms extended and my eyes straining from their sockets in the hope of, of catching some faint ray of light. I proceeded for many paces, but still all was blackness and vacancy. I breathed. I breathed more freely. It seemed, it seemed evident that mine was not at, at least the most hideous of fates. And now, as I still continued to step Cautiously onward, oh, there came thronging upon my recollection a thousand vague rumors of the horrors of Toledo. Oh, the dungeons, their strange things narrated, fables I'd always deemed them, but yet strange and, and too ghastly to repeat, save in a whisper. They'll leave you to perish of starvation. Look around you, you're surrounded by darkness. A subterranean world of darkness. Uh, what fate awaits you? Uh, a fate greater than anything you could fear. Uh, death awaits uh, you. This uh, will end in death. Um, you will die. Uh, you will die a death of more than customary uh, bitterness. Bitterness will be upon your lips as you die. All this I knew, for I knew too well, I knew too well, the character of my judges to doubt. The mode, the mode and the hour were all that occupied or distracted me. You would Oh, my outstretched hands at length. Oh, they, they encountered some solid obstruction. It was a wall, seemingly of stone masonry. Very smooth, slimy, very cold. I followed it up, stepping with all the careful distrust with which certain antique narratives had inspired me. But, my friend, this process will afford you no means of ascertaining the dimensions of your dungeon. Make a circuit and return to the point from whence you set out. But how can he, when the wall is so perfectly uniform? Your, your knife, knife in, in your, your pocket. pocket. Of course, of course, the knife which had been in my pocket when they led me into the inquisitorial chamber. 
Paul angrily sought it out, thinking I could force the blade into some, some minute crevice of the wall so as to identify my, my point of departure. But it was gone. My clothes had been exchanged for a wrapper of coarse serge. Tear a part of your hem on your robe. Oh. Place the fragment at full length at right angles to the wall. Of course. As he gropes his way around the prison, he won't fail but to encounter this rag upon completing the circuit. Yes, so at least I thought. But I had not counted upon the extent of my dungeon or upon my own weakness. The ground was moist, it was slippery. I staggered onward for some time, and then I stumbled and I, ah, I fell. My excessive fatigue induced me to remain prostrate, and sleep soon overtook me as I lay. Upon awaking and stretching forth an arm, I found beside me a loaf and a pitcher, a pitcher with water. I was too much exhausted to reflect upon this circumstance, but I ate and I drank with avidity. Shortly afterward, I resumed my tour around the prison, and with much toil, I came at last upon the fragment of the surge. Up to the period when I fell, I had counted 52 paces, and upon resuming my walk, I had counted 48 more. Then I arrived at the rag. There were in all, then, of a hundred paces. Now, admitting two paces to the yard, I presumed the dungeon to be 50 yards in circuit. I had met, however, with many angles in the wall, and thus, thus I could form no guess at the shape of the vault. For vault I could not help supposing it to be. My little object, certainly no hope for these researches, but a vague curiosity prompted me to continue them. Now that you know its circumference, my friend, explore the area of your enclosure. Yes, yes. First, I proceeded with extreme caution, for the floor, although seemingly of solid material, was treacherous with slime. Take courage, brave one. Do not hesitate to step firmly. But endeavor to cross in as direct a line as possible. Okay, I had advanced some ten or twelve paces in this manner when the remnant of the torn hem of my robe uh, became entangled between my legs. I stepped on it, and I fell violently on my face. Ah! Ah! In the confusion attending my fall, I did not immediately apprehend a somewhat startling circumstance which yet in a few seconds afterwards, and, and while I still lay prostrate, arrested my attention. It was this. My chin rested upon the floor of the prison, but my lips and the upper portion of my head, although seemingly at a less elevation than the chin, touched nothing. At the same time, my forehead seemed bathed in a clammy vapor, and the, the peculiar smell of decayed fungus arose to my nostrils. I put forward my arm and shuddered to find that I had fallen at the very brink of a circular pit, whose extent, of course, I had no means of ascertaining at the moment. Groping about the masonry just below the margin, I succeeded in dislodging a small fragment and let it fall into the abyss. For many seconds, I hearkened to its reverberations as it dashed against the sides of the chasm in its descent. At length, there was a sullen plunge into water, succeeded by loud echoes, 
And at the same moment, there came a sound resembling the quick opening and as rapid closing of a door overhead, while a faint gleam of light flashed suddenly through the gloom and has suddenly faded away. And now, my friend, you see clearly the doom that has been prepared for you. Congratulations. Your clumsiness was quite timely. If you had not fallen, if you had taken that next step, all the world would have seen no more of you. Of course, others have not been as fortunate as you. The tales of the Inquisition may sound fabulous and frivolous, but... To the victims of its tyranny, they are not. Consider this, my friend. Those victims had the choice of death within its direst physical agonies. Or death with its most hideous moral horrors. I am sad to say you have been reserved for the latter. Death with its most hideous moral horrors. But for now, you have beaten death. For now. Congratulations. Congratulations. By long suffering, my nerves have been unstrung until I trembled at the sound of my own voice and had become in every respect a fitting subject for the species of torture which awaited me. Shaking in every limb, I groped my way back to the wall, resolving there to perish rather than risk the terrors of the wells, <laughs> of which my imagination now pictured many in various positions about the dungeon. Consider this, my friend. You could end this. Indeed you could. Your courage has carried you this far. Let it carry you a few steps farther. Into the abyss. Yes, yes, save oh. yourself the misery that awaits. Oh. End it now. Oh. Plunge yourself into one oh. of these abysses. End it now, now the pit awaits. No. I am a coward! No. I am the veriest of cowards! Coward! 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 consumed me. A burning thirst, and I emptied the vessel that they had left for me and dropped. Must have been drunk, or scarcely had I drunk, before I became irresistibly drowsy. A deep sleep fell upon me. A sleep like that. I know not, but when once again I unclosed my eyes, the objects around me were visible by a wild, sulfurous luster, the origin of which I could not at first determine. I was enabled to see the extent and aspect of the prison. <gasps> mistaken. You were greatly mistaken about its size. The whole, room, the whole circuit of this room's walls doesn't even exceed 25 yards. You have been deceived, too. The shape of your enclosure is not what you thought, either. Fool! In feeling my way, I had found many angles, and thus deduced an idea that it was greatly irregular. So potent is the effect of total darkness upon one who is arousing from lethargy or sleep. Mistaken and Interesting. The angles were simply those of a few slight depressions or, or niches at odd intervals. The general shape of the prison is square. In the center of my enclosure yawned that circular pit from whose jaws I had just escaped. But it is the only pit in the dungeon, also contrary to what you originally thought. Mistaken, Mistaken and, and deceived. deceived. 
All this I saw indistinctly, and by much effort, for my personal condition had been greatly changed during slumber. I now lay upon my back, and at full length, I was on a species of low framework of wood. To this I was securely bound by a long strap. It passed in many convolutions about my limbs and body, leaving at liberty only my head and my left arm to such extent that I could, by dint of much exertion, supply myself with food from an earthen ditch, dish which lay by my side on the floor. I saw to my horror, though, that the pitcher had been removed. I say to my horror, for I was consumed with intolerable thirst. This thirst, it appeared to be the design of my persecutors to stimulate, for the food in the dish was meat pungently seasoned. Look up, look up. And behold, 30 or 40 feet above me, within one of the ceiling panels, a very singular figure riveted my whole attention. It was the painted figure of... Time. Actually, time, as he's commonly represented in the pantheon of mythology. In actuality, time is but a manifestation of our flawed perception of reality. For example, most depictions of time have been bearing a scythe. This image of time, however, bears... A pendulum. A huge pendulum such as we see antique clocks. There's something, however, in the appearance of this machine which caused me to regard it more attentively. While I gazed directly upward at it, for its position was immediately over my own, I fancied that I saw it in motion. In an instant afterward, the fancy was confirmed. Its sweep was brief and, of course, slow. I watched it for some minutes, somewhat in fear, but more in wonder. A slight noise then attracted my notice, and looking to the floor, I saw several enormous rats traversing it. They had issued from the well, which lay just within, just within view to my right. Even then, while I gazed, they came up in troops, hurriedly, with ravenous eyes, allured to the scent of the meat. From this, it required much effort and attention to scare them away. Look up, look up. Cast your eyes upward. More time has passed. Be amazed and look, look up. up. Look up. What I saw confounded me. The sweep of the pendulum had increased in extent by nearly a yard. As a natural consequence, its velocity was also much greater. Time passes. Observe. Observe. I saw the pendulum's nether extremity was formed of a crescent of glittering steel about a foot in length from horn to horn. The horns upward, and the under edge evidently as keen to that of a razor, heavy and appended to a weighty rod of brass, and the whole hissed as it swung through the air. Well, 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 monkish ingenuity and torture. <laughs> it's impressive to say the least. We can no longer doubt the doom they've prepared for you, my friend. What's worse, I believe your inquisitorial agents are aware of your cognizance of their pit of horrors that is destined for so bold a recusant as yourself. If I may, gentlemen, that pit is typical of hell, is it not? The ultima thule of all punishments. And given that a plunge into that very pit was all part of the surprise, entrapment into torment, if you will, why, that alone is an important portion of all the grotesqueries of these dungeon's deaths. And you failed to fall, my friend. 
You failed to fall. So what now? They surely won't give him the victory of release. He must be punished still. Hurled into the abyss in some way. Only time will tell. What different, what milder destruction awaits him? <laughs> milder. <laughs> I half smiled in my agony as I thought of such, such an application of such a turn. Observe that the, the pendulum, pendulum swings closer. And indeed it did. Long, long hours passed. Long, long hours of horror, more than mortal. And with the passing of each hour, I counted the rushing vibrations of the steel, inch by inch, line by line, with a descent only appreciable at intervals that seemed ages. Down, down, and still down it came. The hours turned into days, and as the days passed, air had swept so closely over me as to fan me with its the odor of the sharp steel forced itself into my nostrils. Pray, pray to heaven it descends more speedily. Yes, weary heaven with your petitions. Beg for your misery to come to an end with one swing of the pendulum. I grew frantically mad. I struggled to force myself upward against the sweep of the fearful scimitar. Pray, pray, pray. And then I fell suddenly calm and lay smiling at the glittering death as a child at some rare bauble. I saw that the crescent was designed to cross the region of the heart. It would fray the surge of my robe. It would return, and it would repeat its operations again and again. Down, steadily down, it creeps. Down to the right, to the left, far and wide with the shriek of a damned spirit. <laughs> To your heart with the stealthy pace of the tiger. <laughs> down! Down! Certainly! Relentlessly! Down! 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 Oh, the pendulum, it vibrated within three inches of my bosom. I struggled violently, furiously to free my left arm. Oh, this was, this was free only from the elbow to the hand. Could I have broken the fastenings above the elbow, I would have seized and attempted to arrest the pendulum. I might as well have attempted to arrest an avalanche. Down, down, down. unceasingly, uh, inevitably uh, down. Observe how our friend struggles and gasps with each vibration of the pendulum. Shrinks with convulsion at its every step. His eyes following its hot order upward whirls with the eagerness of despair. The most unmeaning despair. They close in spasms, incapable of blocking out its descent. Death would be a relief. Your every nerve quivers at the thought about to It would be slit. A sinking, keen, listening accent to your bosom. An unspeakable relief. And yet, it's hope that prompts his nerves to quiver, his frame to shrink away from its keen, glistening axe. It's hope. The hope that triumphs on the rack. Hope that whispers to the death condemned, even in the dungeons of the Inquisition. Observe, Observe all, all is not lost. lost. 
very soon. Hope! Yes! Yes, hope! Yo, hope! For I saw that some ten or twelve vibrations would bring the steel in actual contact with my robe. And with this observation, there suddenly came over my spirit all the keen, collected calmness of despair. For the first time during many hours, or perhaps days, Observe, my friend, the bandage, the surcingle that envelops you. It is unique. It was. The first time I noticed that I was tied by no separate cord. Yes, and the first stroke of the pendulum with its razor-like crescent athwart any portion of the band would so detach it that it might be unwound from your person by means of your left hand. But how fearful the proximity of the steel, the result of the slightest struggle, how deadly. Yes, but isn't it likely that the minions of the torture had not foreseen and provided for this possibility? It is possible, even probable, that the bandage crosses his bosom in the trap of the pendulum. And with last hope, faced, faced with faint dread, I elevated my head far enough as to obtain a distinct view of my breast. Sisyphus enveloped my, my limbs and body close in all directions, save in the path of the destroying crescent. The whole thought, it was now present, feeble, scarcely sane, scarcely definite, but still entire. I proceeded at once, with the nervous energy of despair, to attempt its, its execution. The rats, swarming about you. Oh, wild, bold, ravenous red eyes. Red eyes flaring up at you, waiting for you to die, waiting to make you their prey. To what food have they been accustomed in the pit? Yes, they had devoured. They had devoured in spite of in all my all my efforts to prevent them. They had devoured all but a small remnant of the contents of the dish. In their veracity, the vermin frequently they they fanced, fastened their sharp fangs in my fingers. Reaching into the dish, I thoroughly rubbed the bandage with the particles of the oily and spicy yamd, which now remained wherever I could reach it. Then, raising my hand from the floor, I lay breathlessly still. At first, the ravenous animals were startled and terrified at the change, at the cessation of movement. They shrank alarmedly back. Many sought the pit, but this was only for a moment. I had not counted in vain upon their veracity. Oh, observing that I remained without motion, one or two of the boldest leaped upon the framework and smelt at the surcingle. Oh, this seemed the signal for a general rush. Forth from the well, they hurried in fresh troops. They clung to the wood. They overran it. They leaped in hundreds upon my person. The measured movement of the pendulum disturbed them not at all. Avoiding its strokes, they busied themselves with the anointed bandage. They pressed. They swarmed upon me in, in ever-accumulating heaps. They writhed upon my throat with their cold lips, sought my own. I was half-stifled by their thronging pressure. Disgust, for which the world has no name, swelled my bosom and chilled with a heavy clamminess my heart. At one minute, and I felt that the struggle would be over. Plainly, I perceived that they were loosening the bandage. I knew that in more than one place, then, it must be already severed. With a more than human resolution, I lay still. Nor had I erred in my calculation, nor had I endured in vain. I at length felt that I was free. The surcingle 
bands from my body, but the stroke of the pendulum already pressed upon my bosom. It had divided the surge, the robe. It had cut through the linen beneath. Twice again it swung, and a sharp sense of pain ah, shot through every nerve. But the moment of escape had arrived at a wave of my hand. My deliverers hurried tumultuously away. Steady movement, cautious, sidelong, shrinking, and slow. I slid from the embrace of the bandage and beyond the reach of the scimitar. And for the moment, at least, I was free. <laughs> free? in the grasp of the Inquisition. Observe, the motion of the hellish machine has ceased. The pendulum is being drawn up through the ceiling as if by an invisible force. Be aware. Your every motion is being watched. Undoubtedly watched. Uh -oh. Beware. Free. I had but escaped death in one form of agony, only to be delivered unto worse than death in some other. With that thought, I rolled my eyes nervously around on the barriers of iron that hemmed me in. Observe, my friend, there is something unusual in the air. A distinct change, distinct but almost imperceptible, has taken place. Observe, a light, a sulfurous light illuminates your cell. Yes, a light. For the first time, I noticed Light. Observe, Observe from whence, from whence it, it comes. comes. It proceeded from a fissure about half an inch in width, extending entirely around the prison at the base of the walls, which thus appeared and were completely separated from the floor. I endeavored, but of course in vain, to look through the aperture. But then, in veining my nostrils, breath the vapor of heated iron. Oh, a suffocating odor pervaded my cell. Unreal. <sighs> I panted. Oh, I gasped for breath. <sighs> there could be no doubt of the design of my tormentor. <coughs> oh, most unrelenting. Oh, most demonic of men. I shrank from the glowing metal the center of the cell. Consider, my <laughs> friend, your situation. As we see it, you have two options. On one hand, there is the inevitable impending fiery destruction. Not a pleasant thought, my friend. And your second option, the pit. The coolness of the pits. Really like falling down a well. No more, no less. Indeed, reason was once again correct. The idea of the coolness, the idea of the coolness of the pit. Well, it came over my soul like balm. I rushed to its deadly brink. I threw my straining vision below. The glare from the enkindled roof illumined its inmost recesses. Yet for a wild moment did my spirit refuse to comprehend the meaning of what I saw. 
At length it forced, it wrestled its way into my soul. It burned itself in upon my shuddering reason. This is not how it should end. Throwing yourself into blackness, this is not your fate. Oh, for a voice to speak, to cry out, to scream. Oh, horror. Oh, oh, any horror, horror but this. Ah! With a shriek, I rushed from the margin, and I buried my face in my hands, weeping bitterly. You resisted the coolness of the well, my friend, and now the heat rapidly increases. Observe, my friend, there has been a second change. A change in the form of things. As before, it was in vain that I had first endeavored to appreciate or understand what was taking place. There can be no doubt, my friend. The Inquisitor's vengeance has been hurried by your twofold escape. Observe, the room is no longer square. It is now obtuse. Observe, Observe that, that low, low rumbling, moaning, moaning sound. sound. A change in the form of things. Oh, in Beware! An in an instant, my cell had shifted its form into that of a lozenge. But the, but the alteration stopped not here. I neither hoped nor desired it to stop. I could have, I could have clasped the red walls to my bro bosom as a garment of eternal peace. Death, 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 any death but that of the pit. Fool, you should have known. The burning iron is meant to urge you into the pit. And now you cannot resist its glow or, or withstand its pressure. Observe the lozenge grows flatter and flatter. Or contemplation. Observe the pit. Its center, its greatest width, hovers just above the yawning gulf. All, All is, is lost. lost. This is the end, end of time. time. This, this is, is death. death. Fool! Yes! Yes, a fool! Fool to hope that I could escape the destiny imposed upon me by my torturers. Fool! To reason that I, of limited intellect and will, could devise a way out. I shrank back. But the closing walls pressed me resistlessly onward. At length, for my seared and writhing body, there was no longer an inch of foothold on the firm floor of the prison. I struggled no more, but the agony of my soul found vent in one loud, long, and final scream of despair. I felt that I tottered upon the brink. I averted my eyes as the pit began to swallow me, to engulf me in the chasm, in the black void of eternity. There was a discordant hum of human voices. There was a loud blast of, of many trumpets. There was a harsh grating as of a thousand thunders. The fiery walls rushed back. An outstretched arm caught my own as I fell, fainting into the abyss. It was that of General LaSalle. The French army had entered Toledo. The Inquisition was in the hands of its enemies. And so closes Cloak and Dagger on the air's presentation of Edgar Allan Poe's 1843 short story, The Pit and the Pendulum, specially adapted for Cloak and Dagger by Pete Birnbaugh, and starring Rob DeSantis, Carissa Martin, and Dave Zineski as the voices of reason, 
and Bethany Fernball, Noah Hilton, and Nancy Longo as the Whispers of Fear. Pete Fernball played the prisoner, and the translator and the inquisitioner were played by Dr. J.K. Luthra. Shane Meredith, Bethany Fernball, Noah Hilton, and Carissa Martin handled our sound, and our in-house composer, Lakin Weaver, provided the original score.